Well, again, good morning and welcome this second Sunday of Advent. It's also uh, our second sermon in our Advent series, uh, Songs of the Savior, uh, where we are in Luke chapters 1 and 2, considering the, the songs uh, that were sung around Christ's birth as recorded uh, by the gospel writer Luke. So these four weeks of Advent together, uh, last week Mary's song, uh, this week Zechariah's song, uh, next week the angels, and fi the final week the song of Simeon. And so today Zechariah's song, uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. If you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you, you'll find it on page 856. And today, one of the things that we're going to see is the power of God's salvation to change, to transform, to radically change and transform lives. Not only those who have yet to believe and are brought to belief, but also for those who already believe and yet still struggle sometimes to believe, still struggle to take God at his word. Now, before we get into our particular passage, uh, we need to back up just a bit for context because our passage is not the first place where we meet Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah's song uh, comes well after we have met him. In fact, he is the first person uh, that the gospel writer Luke introduces us to. Uh, the first person we meet all the way back in verse 5. So I'm going to read a little bit and give a, a bit of an overview uh, for context. So back in uh, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And then the story continues, and we see that Zechariah is a priest. His division is on duty at the temple. And by lot, uh, Zechariah is chosen uh, to burn incense in the holy place, uh, deep within the temple. And so I pick up in verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Verse 17. And he will go before him to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So the angel speaks to Zechariah. And how does Zechariah respond? Verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe 
my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And that brings us to our passage. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. Before we hear God's word, let's take a moment to pray. Once again, we come before you, God, thanking you for your word and asking that you would uh, once again open us to your word and your word to us. Uh, Lord, that we might hear, that we might hear from you. And not only here, but that we might be changed by you. So would you now, would you take us into this part of your great story of salvation? That we might see you. And that in seeing, we might be changed. Believing, whether for the first time or growing in that belief that you gave us years ago. And so we look to you now, the God who speaks. In the name of Jesus, amen. So I invite you to hear the word of God from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And so they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And this is the word of God. It's given to us for our good and ultimately for his glory. And so let's turn to it now 
Well, today as we walk through this part of God's great story of salvation, we're going to look at the passage in two parts. And actually, if you just take a look at the way it's presented in your Bibles, that's the way uh, it's presented already. Two parts, birth and blessing. When we get to blessing, we'll see that that too has a couple of parts to it. But for right now, just think in terms of birth and blessing. So birth, let's begin with the birth of John the Baptist. Uh, Verses 57 to 66. Uh, Verse 57 again. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Okay, let's stop there. How many times have you heard this story? How many times have you read through this and you just kind of pass over? I mean, yeah, we know Zechariah met the angel, he's made silent, his wife conceives, and now she has a baby and the story goes on. It's so easy to miss the magnitude here. It's easy to miss the miracle that's just taken place. Because we are talking about a barren old woman. Married to a very old man. Both old enough to be grandparents, if not great-grandparents. But as the angel said to Mary, uh, when speaking to her about her cousin Elizabeth, the angel spoke to Mary and said, verse 36, Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So we think of this woman. Painful years of shattered dreams. Shame within her local community. A barren old woman. That's how she's known. And then suddenly, the impossible. An impossible conception. No one would have thought this. Followed by long months of pregnancy And then hard hours of labor for a very old woman. The angel's promise is fulfilled. The impossible has been made possible. Now maybe you have uh, noticed that uh, Dennis is not here this morning. Uh, You may have noticed that because you've seen way too much of me already. Uh, But he's where he should be. Uh, He is with his family at his grandmother's birthday party. Now, this isn't just any old birthday party. It is the century mark. Yeah, it is her 100th birthday celebration. Okay, now that's old. (laughs) But imagine for a moment a barren old woman in a small town who had just given birth. It's ridiculous. I mean, if you think about it, it is absurd. And that's the point. It's the absurdity of grace. As the angel foretold, Elizabeth gave birth to a son, and everyone heard about it, and everyone came out to rejoice with her because this was not supposed to happen. The impossible has been made possible. And yet, what do we do? We doubt God. Uh, we, we still struggle to, to take him at his word, to believe that he has the best for us. Now, maybe you hear this and you say, yeah, but, 
Come on, God hasn't done anything like that for me. Nothing really impossible for me. I mean, this week as I, I read it, I thought, yeah, you know, me neither. Nothing impossible for me. And then I stop and think, except for the incarnation. I'm reminded that God became man. Born of a Virgin Mary, lived the perfect life that I can't live. Died the horrific death that I deserve to die. Resurrected in defeat of sin and death. From Christmas to the cross. Given new life in Jesus. It's the absurdity of grace for nothing is impossible with God. Amen? Well, the story continues. Verse 59. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no. He shall be called John. So it's the eighth day. According uh, to God's law, it's time for the baby boy to be circumcised, to be given the sign of the covenant that God had made uh, with Abraham. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, they believe God's promise of salvation. And so by faith, they look to God, they trust him, they present their son to him. Now, it's also time at this uh, significant, joyous event, it's also time for the baby boy to be given his name. And everyone expects, because it's custom, that he would be named after his father. This would be Zechariah Jr. That's what they expect. But Elizabeth surprises them and calls him John. And so, of course, the people object. I mean, they are probably thinking, come on, lady. You are old. You have waited your entire life for this. God has given you this gift. It's probably the only child you're going to have. It's a son. Give him the family name that he could carry on the family name uh, beyond you. And so, they decide they can't reason with the mother. Let's turn to the father. Maybe he'll be more reasonable. But remember, it, it, it takes a bit of work to communicate with Zechariah. Because you remember, Zechariah was earlier silenced by the angel because he had not believed God's word. Now, it's interesting to note, and actually helpful for us, that apparently Zechariah can neither hear nor speak. Now, that's what the Greek word here connotes. He can neither hear nor speak. So he has been in complete and total silence for at least nine months. You might think about how dark and lonely that could be. Unable to speak, not sure what's going on around you. And so here we have Zechariah, deaf as well as mute. I mean, you can also just read the text and see if he wasn't deaf, the people would have spoken directly to him rather than making signs. And so here they go, having to make signs back and forth, trying to figure out what the other is saying. And as I read through this, I thought about Helen Keller. Uh, you, you know of Helen Keller, uh, early childhood, lost in silent darkness. Alone, frustrated, not understanding what's going on. Now, Zechariah's experience is not that extreme. But his inability to hear, to speak, that was difficult in his own right. Now, eventually, the people figure out that Zechariah would like a pad, would like a tablet to write on. And he writes and confirms his name is John. 
And just to emphasize it even more, as Luke writes this in, in, in the Greek New Testament, emphasizes the name even more, recording that the first word Zechariah wrote was John. He writes, John. John is his name. What an act of faith and obedience for Zechariah. Not a name chosen by him or by his wife, but a name given to this child by God. And it's an indication that this child is special. And names are important. I mean, here's, here's just a really wonderful thing. Uh, gospel writer Luke, he, I think of the gospel writers, he does as good a job of telling story with layer after layer after layer. And here, the names, just in Luke chapter 1, just in the first chapter, the names are already, in and of themselves, telling the story of salvation. The name Zechariah means God remembers. Elizabeth means God is faithful. John means God is merciful. And Jesus, the name above all names, means God saves. And so here the story is unfolding before us. God remembers. He is faithful. He is merciful. He saves. As another pastor puts it, Luke is telling the story of salvation and these people are a part of that story. The faithful God who shows mercy to sinners has remembered his promise to save. And so Zechariah writes the name John. And at that very moment, immediately the silence is ended and the celebration begins. Zechariah, filled with joy, verse 64. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Well, the blessing that Zechariah sang, uh, the answer to the question that the people ask, uh, that's all addressed in our next section. So let's continue. Blessing. Let's move from birth to blessing. Uh, verses 67 to 79. So as, as we've already heard, Luke first tells how the people responded. Tells how they responded to this sudden restoration of Zechariah's voice and then to the blessing that he sang. Luke then takes us back into the very words, the actual words uh, that Zechariah sang, the very words of his song of salvation. Verse 67 begins, we see that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he sings praise and prophecy. Now, some of you are familiar that Zechariah's hymn is often referred to as the Benedictus. Some of you have heard that, the Benedictus. It's the, uh, the first word in Latin. It means blessed. And like the Magnificat, Mary's song, which we looked at last week, the Benedictus begins with a word of praise. The very beginning. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. The first words uttered out of Zechariah's mouth after at least nine months of silence. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for, for what? Well, for all that is about to follow. 
but easily summarized in that first statement. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. God has come near. God has come here. And if you think about it, just given all of the events, everything that has been unfolding ever since verse 5, it is clear to Zechariah that the promised time of salvation has begun. So the Benedictus, uh, Zechariah's blessing, as I said at the beginning, uh, the blessing comes in two parts as well. A blessing for the Savior and then a blessing for his son. So first, Zechariah blesses the Savior, verses 68 to 75. Uh, let's reread those verses. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So these, the first words Zechariah speaks. And, and the blessing is clearly, it's all about salvation. Zechariah knows that John would be the forerunner, preparing the way for the Lord. And if there's a forerunner, then salvation is on its way right now. As Philip Ryken states, At stake in the birth of these two babies was nothing less than the salvation of the whole world. God had raised up a horn of salvation. Now, this is imagery It comes from the Old Testament, symbolizing an animal's strength and power. But it's really not that foreign to us. It's still important symbolism for us today. In today's culture, you might even think of marketing, advertising. In fact, I was thinking about this passage on my way into the office earlier this week. I was at a traffic light, stopped behind a very large truck in front of me. It happened to be a large Dodge truck. And so what is staring at me on the tailgate but a silver ram with huge horns. Is ram tough? That's the point here. In Zechariah's song, we see the mighty Savior and the horns of the ox or the ram facing his and our enemies with assertion and force, ultimately defending and defeating. A mighty Savior. A mighty salvation. And what is salvation? What, what do we learn about salvation here? Well, according to Zechariah, it's something that comes from God and not from us. Uh, Riken continues, The priest blessed God for visiting his people. Verse 68. This was something he had experienced personally when the angel appeared to him at the temple. But this visitation was not for him alone. By sending the angel, by giving Elizabeth a baby, and especially by putting his son in the virgin's womb, God was visiting his people. He was entering our situation from the outside. Because without intervention, we could never be saved. 
You see, salvation is not a human invention, but a divine visitation. It's not something we achieve by going to God, but something that God has already done coming to us in Christ. No one is saved except by the grace of God. And so Zechariah sings. He sings of God's gracious salvation as fulfillment of God's gracious promises. Verses 69 and 70, we see Zechariah speaks of King David, uh, the ancient prophecies about God's Messiah, the Christ. Then verses 71 and 72, Zechariah reaches way back to Abraham, to God's holy covenant that he made, that he cut with Abraham, that all nations would be saved through his son. And Zechariah thinks, it's all coming true. It's happening. Jesus is the Savior. The Savior that God had promised from the very beginning. And Zechariah blesses God's Son through a song of salvation. Again, there are two parts uh, to Zechariah's blessing. After blessing the Savior, now Zechariah blesses his Son. uh, Verses 76 to 79. Now, remember, we've already heard the first part. The very first words that were to come out of Zechariah's mouth. A man who has been waiting, wondering, probably gave up hope that he would even ever have a child. Then he goes through this excruciating nine plus months of silence. The first thing out of his mouth is to bless God's son before he blesses his own. The order here is important. Zechariah recognizes the subordinate position of John. John, who is the final and greatest prophet of the Old Covenant. The greatest because of his special relationship to Jesus. One commentator says of John, He was first in the birth order, but second in significance. Zechariah understood this. He knew the superiority of Jesus. And he also knew the special calling of John. Here again, the second part of Zechariah's song, beginning in verse 76. And, and as I read this, keep in mind, firstborn son, uh, birthright of a father's blessing is something that, that he is due that Zechariah would have been looking forward to. And up to this point, Zechariah is not even sure that he'll have a voice to bless his son. And he is surprised with the restoration of it. And so imagine the emotion of this old man's voice as it is restored and he is able to speak the blessing over his own child. Verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah blesses his son John based on the very promises of God, heralding his special calling as forerunner. The prophet who would prepare the way for Jesus. And John would prepare the way by preaching 
the message of salvation by preaching the forgiveness of sins. So again, what is salvation? What does it mean to be saved? Well, the salvation proclaimed by Zechariah, it's not merely rescue from earthly enemies, but rather deliverance from sin and death. John was called, verse 77, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. The very heart of salvation, at its core, at its foundation, everything that is central is the forgiveness of sins. Now, salvation then bears much fruit. Salvation goes on, eventually it changes society. It transforms culture. It is not meant merely for the individual, but to transform peoples, to transform lives, societies. But that's not where it starts. One theologian puts it this way. There can be no social transformation without spiritual regeneration. There can be no social transformation without spiritual regeneration. You see, salvation begins when God's Spirit changes the hearts of sinners. But again, we want to see the enormity of salvation. We want to see the forgiveness of sins, and then we want to see the transformation of lives that's contagious, that transforms the peoples around them. Michael Wilcock uh, holds this balance together well, and he writes this. We must believe, as clear-thinking Christians in every age have believed, that it is the will and plan of God for all wrong relationships, political as well as spiritual, eventually to be put right. We include, therefore, in our preaching of salvation, the need for the righting of wrong social structures and physical conditions. But we keep at its center the need for the cleansing of sinful human hearts. Clearly not the only concern, but clearly that is the primary concern of the people of God. More than anything else, What we need, what you need, what I need, is the forgiveness of sins, which only comes through the cross of Christ, through the death of Jesus on our behalf for sinners. When we put our trust in Jesus, in his finished work on the cross, all sin is forgiven. All sin, past present, future, all sin and all because of God's mercy. Or as Zechariah sings, verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. Now think for just a moment. Zechariah knows very personally, very intimately, this forgiveness of sins because of the mercy of God. Think back to when we were first introduced to him earlier in Luke's gospel. He is affirmed as being righteous and godly. This is an upstanding man who has followed God alongside of his wife faithfully for years, serving God year after year. And yet, 
Zechariah still struggles. He still struggles to trust God. He still struggles to take God at his word. And God remains faithful. God remains faithful, growing Zechariah in repentance, in faith, in a fresh obedience, forgiving his sin, all because of his mercy. Do you hear that both humbling and extremely encouraging news for us? No matter how long you have been a Christian, we can be honest about our struggles, our doubts, our failures, turning to Jesus, knowing afresh again and again the forgiveness of sins because of the mercy of our God, the tender mercy of our God. In fact, it is then and only then that we will know the joy that is expressed in this part of the story. Only when we are honest, like Zechariah, and know the transforming work of God's salvation in our lives. So, John the Baptist makes ready a people by proclaiming to them the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. And so ends Zechariah's song of salvation. Where John is the prophet of the Most High and Jesus is the bright morning star. The one who lights the path of peace to God. John prepares the way. Jesus is the way. And so let's rejoice in God's great gift of salvation to us. The impossible made possible. This Advent season, let's reflect on the beauty of the incarnation. God becoming man. God coming near. Coming here with a promised return. And so this Christmas, let's remember... God's great blessing in Jesus, the one who has visited and redeemed his people. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O oh Lord Jesus, the horn of salvation, you who would give your life for us, we thank you that you have visited and redeemed your people, and that you are coming back to make all things right. Lord, would you stir up in us, through your word, during this season of Advent, this season of waiting, would you stir up in us expectation, patience, anticipation, full of joy as we rest in your promises. And we look forward to your return. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.